Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an uh, act. All right. Hey, this is Brad. And I'm Jam and Act. We are the episode two of the Next Step podcast. Yes, we are. We're coming Real talk. straight off of conference weekend. General conference was awesome. Did you like it? I did. Where I did, did you watch it? I watched it at my wife's parents' house in a little town in Tehachapi. It's called Tehachapi. Tehachapi, T-Town. It is a literal one-horse town. Um, <laughs> they have two major cross streets. And my wife, if she was here, she'd slap me, but it's the reality. So She'll listen to this later and slap me. Yes, you. she will slap me later, which is fine. Um, I need slapped. So um, Elder Cornish was one that really stood out to me. I think it was in on Saturday's conference. I think it was the first session. Um, he talked about... Um, a lot of great things, but one thing that, you know, being a convert to the church, being an addict in recovery in the church, being one who helps others in the church uh, find recovery through many different types of addictions. Um, sometimes, I don't know where we get this, if it's, you know, from culture or if it's from doctrine or if it's from someone's ideologies, but we think that that God is is there to, to, to when, we, when we commit sin, he's there to throw us out. You know, and it's like, you can't do that, so you're out. Punish. It's a punish. Punish, yeah. It's a God of anger. Because sometimes you do read the scriptures. You can transit. Yeah, Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fire and brimstone, right? And that's the exact opposite of what I found in ARP and and addiction recovery programs and 12-step programs, especially in the church. And so one of his his quote right here from Elder Cornish of the 70s said, The God of heaven is not a heartless referee looking for any excuse to throw us out of the game. That's huge. He's not ready to throw us out of the game. He wants to keep us in the game. That's what I, that's what I thought. And these 12 steps, when I first came mm-hmm. to the meeting, I thought my life had become so unmanageable and it was so chaotic through my addictions that I was out. I was never getting back in. I may, I may be able to recover from drug use or from alcohol or from certain things, but I'll never get back in the game again. I actually used the, to like say that a lot. the church game? Yeah, the church game. To my wife, I would say, after meetings, I'd say, there's no way I'm going to be able to like give talks again, have callings like... I'm fried. Like, I'm, I'm out. I, I've committed too many sins. I've messed up too much. And, you know, this quote right here says he's not going to do that. And I found that true in my life. And he's ready to keep me in the game and not throw me out. Have you ever been to General Conference? Yes, I have. When I first joined the church, that's... Did, yeah. So when you first joined the church, you went to General Conference. Yeah, I heard about the... Uh, what, what, yeah. did, what did you think when you saw those people outside with the posters and the signs? pretty awesome, like, seminary... I mean, uh, not seminary... Um, institute? Institute. A teacher, and he he let's he, give a shout out to Brother Griner. Brother Griner, he was the man, and he 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 prepped us for for what we'd expect. And he talked about picketers and things like that. But when I got there and actually saw them in person, it was it was a trip. I couldn't believe the signs <laughs> they have are obnoxious, and I mean just crazy stuff. From a lot like, of energy there. A lot of energy, yeah. Like people screaming and stuff. Like that's pretty normal. I I couldn't believe that there were that many. I expect to see one or two, right? You know, but they bust in, don't they? I've been to like the yeah, anti pageant and conference. Yeah, and I talked to a few at atrocious pitch of like you know all sorts of aborted stuff like just weird stuff like yeah. I remember seeing this one guy had some creepy stuff but careful PG yeah PG anyways protesters so, little, little shocking um, I find that it's uh, it's interesting that they spend so much time when we're quite, just trying to do our thing a quite dyna- a different contrast of that and you hear the words of the, the apostles and you actually listen to them uh, it's very contrary to what they say yeah what they're saying 
they're preach the hate is on the like <laughs> they're saying that we're hating like a lot of times they say that the church is hating on x y and z where you could pick it they, they'll figure something to pick it about but then you, you like the hate is out there and then when you get inside it's like it's all love it's all peace and good stuff what did you think? We uh, we had a lot of people tonight in our meeting share Elder Ballard's talk on, the title of it was Joy and Spiritual Survival. We had a lot of people share about that, that yeah. really profound, as uh, finding joy in in your in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, this is uh, from Elder Ballard, when the focus of our lives is on Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Why did that? Why do you think that hit so many people tonight? I think uh, one thing I wrote down. I think it was the same talk. Was uh, joy in the suffering? You know, life is is meant. It's going to have ups and downs. You read the Book of Mormon. You read the New Testament. It's just a lot of trying times, and you're going to face those. But if you have the hope from the gospel that you know this is all for a purpose, and I hear you sharing the meetings a lot about you know we're in a fallen state. Of course, it's this way. Um, but there can be joy in the suffering of the world. Like there's a lot of gnarly things that happen in our life, but we can keep moving forward. And as they say, you know, pressing on, shoulder to the wheel, that type of stuff, mindset of that this, this is a purpose. There's a purpose of why it's that way. It's, it's so you can learn and grow from these experiences so you can really truly have the joy and experience the joy. You know what's, what's it. unique this time was how many great quotes, this may sound uh, bad, but didn't come from the apostles, came from the seventy. Yeah. From primary presidents, you know, the non, the auxiliary leaders. Yeah. So much uh, great quotes. I did from notice that. that. There was like usually when, when sometimes those auxiliary leaders, I don't listen too much. Yeah, I'm kind of like, yeah, like, you'll get, a, get something out of the kitchen during that talk. But there was a couple, I, I can't remember, but you know, I don't have my, my notes in front of me, but I, I definitely, well, there was a, I don't remember what she was, but I don't remember her calling, but it was just, I just remember hearing her talk and it was, it was, it was spiritual. It was good. Carol McConkie, who said, in the struggles of mortality, we are never left alone to accomplish our work, that, to fight our battles, exactly. to face adversity or whole, unanswered questions. Yes, her whole talk was so good. Yeah. She's talking about, like, she shared several different experiences of people, like, that, uh, like, a, a man dealing with sound like with addiction and how mm-hmm. he decided he, w- at one point, he was going to just let go and he was willing to give up his, his, um, What's the word I'm looking for? His uh, eternal progression yes. in order to not hurt his family yeah. members, hurt his wife. That, that was totally addiction talk, That was 100%. Right? Like it, but yeah. yet he decided to come out. He decided to get honest. And, yeah, a lot of things happened. Like you, you mentioned, you, she mentioned his wife got mad, his church calling me, all this stuff. You sponsor quite a few people in this yeah, program, right? Yeah. Is this not – you it's probably exactly share that with everybody it's, you sponsor, right? It's exactly what happens. I mean, it's happened in my own life. You know, when, when you come out with certain things that you've done that are against church policy, there has to be certain consequences in order to, to help you progress along the way. I've, ha- I've been disciplinary counseled. I've seen people excommunicated. I've sponsored people who are excommunicated and those who aren't and who have recovered back. And um, just like she said, there are these consequences, but – because she did it, because he did it, and he he found the joy in the suffering. He found, you know, and he, and they found joy in his 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 wife. The one thing she didn't do was leave him. Now, is that always the case? Of course not. She said that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right after, the, mm-hmm. she, it's like she was so aware. Like yeah. she didn't just say a blanket statement, and then and then drop it at that. Like 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 you just said. Uh, any news that stands out to you besides conference? Um, we could go on all day on yeah, conference. Yeah, serious. Like, yeah, we can go on and bore everyone with that. But 
Um, definitely, if you have, if you miss any talks, go back and listen to them. So easy now, right? With you, YouTube, all the videos. Go to LDS.org conference. Yeah, they're posted you can right read away. Read it, watch it right now. Immediately, you don't have to wait for the ensign to come out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so a trip. good right now. I remember when I first joined the church, even just. 12 years ago, like I had to wait till it came out on the CD. Yes. I was like so stoked when it did because then I could upload it to my iTunes and then get yeah. it on my iPod, yeah. which I was doing construction. I'm very from. audio, like reading. I don't read. I just listen or watch. Exactly. Yeah, there's one the one article that I saw. Do you know this, uh, the Mormon leaks? The yeah, leaked that came out conference weekend, yeah. uh, those videos. Uh, interesting that they decided to publish it, you know, right around conference like that. Of course. Did you watch any of them? Uh, no, I just, I mean, some, one of the beginning ones where they talked about, they were like updating the, the 12 apostles on current affairs. Yeah, so I I took the boring job of watching hours of videos because I was intrigued by it. And and then also the 30-second clips that were pulled out out of context to try to make the apostles look old, outdated. And, and basically, they're just being briefed by c- civic leaders, uh, researchers on current affairs throughout the world. The economy, Not pretending like they know everything, like they want to hear from the experts. Hear from the experts. And, th- and these were, you know, 10, this is right about the financial crisis, a lot of them. And they, to me, it, it was just awesome to see how they get briefed on world affairs. Yeah. And they had real, they were very informal yeah. questions just asked, and they were just regular dudes sitting around asking questions about how and why and no policy was being made in these meetings it was pure just information gathering and that's yeah. it and i think that to me i thought it was great that you know the detractors of the church are always telling us how out of touch they are even though they're traveling nonstop in the world they're not staying in hotels they're staying in members yeah. homes yeah they're going to places you know they're they're very just traveling Travel. outside. I mean, think of Travel all outside. the nine out of ten, if not probably a hundred, maybe ninety nine point nine percent of these, the people, like you said, the antis or those that write certain articles on and criticize the church leaders. I mean, think of their world experience. Like, are they out there traveling? Are they out there experiencing all these different parts well, think, of the world? I think they're pretty. I think they are. Yeah. Well, because they got their internet. You know, yes. they got their laptop telling them. You know, <laughs> think, but these guys are out there it's in Reddit, their eighties and nineties. Like well into their 80s, and they're out there in these foreign countries, these third world countries now, you know, like experiencing that. Even if, like, when we go on our surf trips, you experience those things, oh. you come back with a perspective that when is you, different than looking at it on Google. Completely. So, and not only that, they go and stay at members' homes and go. Well, like you visit. said, though, the cool thing is, is that they're, they're being, like, it was, no policy was being made. They're trying to make it look like, see how out of date, but to me, like, like I think we talked about this earlier, it shows how in date they are. Like, they're actually, they're not pretending like they know everything. No. They want to get updated on these things because they're out doing, they are out doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Which is not, is not knowing what's going on in the financial game 100%. Like, so they have the expert come in there and tell right. them, this is what's happening, this is why. Yes. You know, so, and so I, they can lead us better. I thought it was great. I it love, right. I, boring as heck watching videos, but I, I, it actually just have to chuckle for those that are grasping to spend their days in their mom's basement looking up these things and Creepy trying guys to publish in their it. Basement. Um, speaking of which, I don't know if these are all basement dwellers, but th- I got an advertisement Trolls. for a. Uh, I won't give the name of it, but a retreat, and I guess it's an annual treat to help people transition out of the church, where you pay three to five hundred bucks. Oh, so they're charging people now. Yep. Plus hotel and airfare okay. to go, and they teach you how to. But that's part of their claim, though. They say the church is just about money, and now there's like businesses to help you get out of this. <laughs> Come on now, yeah. Um, <laughs> Crazy, Trolls. but you share. You know, my generation is a little bit different than yours, but this is a you know 
the phenomenon with you talk about it a lot about friends of yours yeah. that are quote transitioning out of the church. Yeah, only been a member for just about twelve years now, and coming up actually in November twentieth is my my date. I decided to get baptized, and um, I think it's. 11. And I love your perspective. Yeah, because. I just crazy, like even in that short period of time, like there's been friends that I didn't know existed, then met them in the singles ward, met them up at BYU, met them in Utah, met them here in our singles ward or institute, now that are gone, they've left, and they've like taken their names off the record, and they don't, they don't believe in a lot of these things, and it's interesting is when I always, they have to make it public, like it's interesting with Facebook and stuff, you see the transition of people, I mean you can kind of see in their pictures, but then they'll also start, like some of, the, some of them have been extremely vocal about why they've left, right, or... One thing I found interesting, like you're saying with this transition seminar, to me, it's like if something is is right, it's easy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It's yeah. not necessarily easy. Like, it's all going to work out, but it's going to work out. And you feel comfortable in your decision. You ever had that peace of mind? Like, we're talking about joy and suffering, Isn't right? Isn't that what you go for? Like, exactly. the joy and the peace. Exactly. And if, and if you, fo- you follow your my mom always said, you follow your heart, you're going to do the right thing. These people always mention it's breaking their heart to leave. That's but they, they know it's you. the right thing to do. Yeah, or they post it or they talk about it. Like, it broke my heart. It was the hardest thing ever. Well, if it's the hardest thing ever, then why are you leaving? Like, you're, you're, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of contradiction. Because of their family, like their family. I think, I think it's just people logically, you know, put themselves in positions that, you know, they, they know inside their heart. That's why they say it breaks their heart. But their mind is trying to tell them, like, we intellectualize things too much. Analysis by, par- wait, paralysis by analysis. Mm. I think that happens. Quite too often, but that's interesting. They're charging money now. I, I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd find it interesting too. Yeah. Did uh, we have a new church being built in Philadelphia? Yes. That's a temple. Right. I'm sorry, not temple. church. Temple. And I love to find this article that uh, there's there's different spins on on this, and and one of them was from the local papers that were very. Actually, this one's come from the New York Times, talking about the redevelopment of two blocks in this downtown Philadelphia area. And how, in addition to the temple, they're also building a chapel and then also building a 32-story tower that has apartments in it, townhomes, and shopping so it's areas. it's completely the, helping the community economically in yeah, a positive <laughs> Yeah, like it was a very yeah. rundown. I'm, I'm not familiar with this area, yeah. but it was very rundown. The city was very, you know, they, the economic development. They couldn't get developers to come in and develop this area. No one wanted to invest there. And the church went in and not only they said, well, sure, we'll invest and we'll build a temple and a church. And then they actually put in some infrastructure there to really turn the town, the town around, the downtown area. Which is awesome. The, and the city loves it. Of course. Uh, so now they're making ties not only for members and helping them with temple. Well, and- the detractors would say, what, you know, you're just trying to make money in this area. Yeah. And I think the this isn't a model going forward. This is most temples are not built this way. Yeah. In fact, I think... The LA, have you been to LA Temple lately? Yeah. No. I wish they would buy the property yeah. around oh, yeah. there that's, uh, and revitalize true. that area. That's true. It's kind of so, scary, and I heard sketchy. a lot of the other temples are that way, but they they talked about how the church is willing to take a risk as developers wouldn't and redevelop the area. And I think that's why the risk, we've seen the what turns around in Washington, D.C., that the area around the temple does turn yeah. towards a positive if, if there's some control in there. And so... Uh, I think it's a wise use of temple funds, and, okay. and it's, well, I think it's you're putting you're putting, a, you're putting a temple there, like period, like you're putting a symbol uh, to the world that there is hope still in it, in a world that you know, um, yeah. I think it's great, it's awesome. Let's uh, move on to your share. We did step two tonight. 
and I want to hear what your share was. We're going to re rebroadcast that right now. This is a, a disease that doesn't only affect the individual who's using, right, like, or is in recovery. It affects everyone around that person and associated with them. Every relationship I had in my life was affected by my addiction. Um, whatever that addiction may be at the time, you know, I came to these, this room originally because my wife had left me uh, four years ago and I was, I was addicted to opiates um, or bitch, you know, I was taking uppers, downers, you name it. I was taking over a thousand pills a month and I'd been doing that for years. And uh, uh, I would have took more if I could afford it more. Um, but at the time I was broke, so. Um, my, you know, it would have been anything I could get my hands on because my solution to life at the time was drugs and alcohol because that helped me get through life. That helped me deal with my anxiety. That helped me feel okay with myself because the minute you, I had that feeling of whatever substance I put in my body, it just made it all all right. And it worked for a lot of, it worked for 19 years from age 11 to, to 26. So it worked for a long time. And that's kind of what drugs and alcohol do. And I used to think that they don't work. And, you know, everyone used to say that didn't have the disease of alcohol in my family that, like, can casually drink one beer and not drink again for a year or whatever. They're in my family. I also have alcoholics in my family. But the ones who are non-alcoholics would just say, like, um, you know, it's bad. You know, it's bad. Just stop, you know. And uh, don't pick up one, you know. But it's like I couldn't. I didn't understand that they were... They weren't my problem. Everyone said, like, that's a problem. Just get off drugs and you'll be fine. Well, I tried that many times. I tried to switch from alcohol, liquor to not beer or get off beer and just smoke cigarettes. I tried to just get off cigarettes and then, you know, and then and then it was pornography and, and then it was, you know, sexual sin. And then it was I joined the church at 19 and, you know, then it was like get off everything. And that worked for a couple of years. Like we just did a fireside in San Clemente on Sunday to talk about addiction with, with, with multi-stakes and to talk um, have a panel and open up some questions and it didn't matter what it was like it was all these things were not my problem I when I first came to the rooms four years ago I thought that all these sins were my problem and if I could just stop sinning then I'd be have no problem well guess what it's not my problem that was my solution and I had to find that through revelation at a meeting listening to someone else share about their experience and it happened years after being sober so you get you know but in the beginning, when you're new to this program, the first step is honesty, right? We did that last week. You come in here, you admit you're an alcoholic, you admit you're an addict, you admit whatever it is that brought you to this room, whatever it is in your life that's causing chaos, that's, you know, your life has become unmanageable because this one action or several actions, whatever it is, right? So that's the beginning. Then you come, it's like, okay, well, I admitted that, now what, right? Like, I mean, it seems like that's half the battle or that's like the biggest battle, but not really because if you're... If you're like, say you've been trying to, to get sober for years, then it's like, no, I've already admitted that I have a problem. That's, I keep coming and saying that. Everyone knows I have a problem. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a drug addict. At, at the point when my wife left me, everyone knew I was a drug addict. Like, I was, it was very obvious. I was slurring my words. I, was, I couldn't keep commitments. It was very obvious that I was no longer hiding my addiction. Um, but my addiction, like maybe you or someone else that you know or you may be feeling this way, had robbed me from hope. Like, all my hope, which is perfect that step two is hope, right? Because when I came to this room, I was like, there's no way, um, there's no way that I was ever going to have hope in my life again. It's just, there's just no way. Like, I had caught, my wife just left me pregnant with my second child. There's no, like, how do you come back from that? Like, there's no way I'm not going to have any hope. Like, I've, I've done too many things. God's never going to forgive me for some of the things I've done, for stealing pills, for lying, for, you know, a lot of other things. And, uh. 
I just love, uh, I was looking up when I, because I didn't have my book at first, so I, I'm doing my book from here, but then I looked up all the different acronyms for HOPE, and there's, there's a few that stood out to me. And first one was uh, um, help other people excel, healing other personal, he, healing our personal environment, have only positive expectations, hold on prayer every day, he offers peace eternally, happy our program exists, hear other people's experience, hold on, peace exists, humor, optimism, patience, effort, hold on, pain ends. And then there's one more, and that's one that we share a lot, and that's one that I, I, that I linked on to right away in my recovery, that I, if I just held on to this new like thing of being honest and admitting I was a drug addict and wanting to stop, then it, eventually the pain would end, right? It just would. That's what people kept telling me. I didn't believe it, but I just like, okay, I'll just trust you. Like, I can't trust myself anymore, but I'll trust you. And then there's one thing that, that, one that did stand out. If you don't have hope, this is the acronym for it. I never even heard this one. It says, hell on planet Earth. I tell you what, if you, if you, you lose all hope, like when I left all hope, it was hell. Because now I had like, I was in this weird phase. I was like, I'm done with drugs and alcohol. So I had nothing to mask all the, all the memories of pain that I caused in my life and other people's lives. So it was like a weird, it's a weird transition phase. But I'm grateful that these steps existed because they guided me right through it. It tells us exactly what to do here. You don't just read about what your life is. You don't read about the problem or the solution. You then get into it, and you dig into it, and it tells you, here's what you need to do. It gives you an action step. It says, pray, read, ponder scriptures, and, and ponder the scriptures. I like right here, it says, at last, so it goes through talking about letting pride go, right? It says, at last, you will begin to experience the healing effects of breaking out of self-imposed isolation. If you're an addict like me, that's where your disease takes you. Remember I said like drugs, alcohol worked for me to, to break that isolation in my life? Well, guess what? It brought me full circle in 19 years back to isolation. I was sleeping on my mom's couch. My wife had left me. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I have mostly no friends anymore in the church. I had a bunch of friends outside the church that were ready for me to come back to party with them. But uh, and we're happy kind of in a weird way because it were kind of like, see, there's nothing. There was no hope. They didn't have hope years ago when I joined the church. And so... Some of them were happy, but the next steps are here. It says the desire to commit to God, uh, communicate to God. It talks about prayer. It talks about just holding on pain ends. And I know that if you come to this program consistently, if you don't just show up once a month, if you don't just show up, you know, once a year, then you're going to have an experience that you didn't even think could happen. And uh, that's what happened with me. I didn't think I'd ever admit um, that I, uh, I had an ego that I edged God out, right? That's the acronym for ego. That I, like, I really believed that uh, that uh, all the pain in my life was caused by God. I never want to admit that. This is kind of personal, but I never, I'd never uh, wanted to admit that in the beginning. I, uh, I, I had placed a big uh, grudge on um, all the things that happened in my life. I placed the blame on Heavenly Father. And uh, that was one of my biggest things I was holding on to, you know? But when I started to let go, and shed that and shed other things. Like I realized that he didn't cause any of that. And he's he's just he was right there ready to just pick up the ball and run and, and my life changed dramatically, very quickly. Um, I didn't feel perfect overnight, but I like I got my wife back. I got you know, I got my things, I got sober, I stayed sober. And then as I did these steps, this is crucial. I don't care how long you have sober, if you haven't done the steps, I don't know how you you know how much longer you're gonna last. I, I made it about a year sober. Um, and I had to do these steps because I felt like I was suffocating. 
and I felt like I was underwater and I couldn't breathe. And I finally worked with Mike and did these steps. And I uh, talked about things I didn't want to talk about. I talked about what I just shared. You know, I had this resentment towards God. And I thought if I shared that in the church, like, oh, man, what's wrong with this guy? Like, no one says that, right? How often do you hear, you don't, that's blasphemy. You don't talk about God that way. But that's what I was, in, that's how I felt. If I was being honest, that's how I felt. And uh, I was able to work through that. And I don't feel that way anymore. I really don't feel that way. That's a good feeling. I can still have something bad happen to me today and go, oh, yeah, it's not your fault. It's just there's a lot of choices that people make in this world, and that's what causes a lot of the tension that we have. And I'm able to just figure it out. So what, I, what I'm trying to say is that if you're new and you've done step one and you've gotten honest, here's the next step. The answer is always the next step, right? And uh, if you haven't gotten a sponsor yet, stay after. Don't be scared. Come up and ask us about how to get a sponsor and move forward with your life. Because I promise you, you're the one that's going to live in pain, right? It says hell on earth. That's what happens when you don't do the steps. Even though I was sober for that first year, it was pretty bad inside. On the outside, it looked great, right? I was not slurring my words. My wife came back. I had a job. I wasn't running out of money to get drugs. I wasn't stealing. But inside, I just, it was hell. It was hell. I was still shaming myself. I still had a lot of guilt. This frees you from that. You never have to go back to feeling that way again. So I'm grateful you guys are here. Once again, congratulations, Chips. And uh, I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ask me anything. All right. Okay. Jay, I'm an open book. Step two is on hope. Yes, it is. When in the recovery process did you first begin to sense a little bit of hope? Um, when I first came to the meetings, I had zero hope, right? Most of us are broken. Our lives have come to a point where they're extremely chaotic or chaotic. Chaotic. What and so 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 I had zero do, hope. Do, I had zero hope when I first came in. But your question hope, is zero hope for what? Like zero what, hope for a better what? future, as they say. But I mean, in my life individually, like I, I, I couldn't remember at this point in my life. I couldn't, no matter how I bad I'd resolute the night before. I'm not going to use drugs. I'd wake up the next morning in a daze of confusion and with a massive headache from detoxing throughout your sleep, and I just reach for my pills. So like I hadn't, I hadn't remembered a sober day in a long time, in many years. So not only you lacked hope in sobriety, but in functioning functioning like a normal person dealing with life on life's terms without having to take drugs to comprehend everything so i had zero hope but when i first started having hope is i came to a meeting it was probably my third or fourth meeting and i heard this girl share about how she got her whole she got her life back and not only did she get her life back but she got her son back that was a huge thing for me because my wife we had to split yeah. up and so our son hit, unfortunately hit close had to, to home yeah hit it close to home she had to he had to go back and forth so i just remember thinking well if i can't get my wife back least I can become a good father and that gave me hope so step two says that talking about meetings there we heard men and women honestly describe what their lives had been like 
what happened to change them and what it was like to live in recovery from addiction. Yes. Who did you relate to most? Those that honestly describe what it had been like or those what happened or what it was like to live in recovery? Like something cool. You remember the first? That's the story I'm talking about is this girl had talked about like how she was a raging alcoholic, like, you know, just to the next level. And at that point, I was still telling everyone I wasn't an addict. And so, but with the way she described how chaotic her life was and the things that come as an addict, like the only another addict can really understand the lies and the things you tell yourself, not only just the public, but you tell yourself. Um, the way she described her chaos and, and just the repetitiveness of the chaos. And then she went into quickly, well, I've been sober for over a year and I've got X, Y, and Z back in my life. I'm like, whoa. So what I did was I identified first, well, she is like me. She was, she's not BSing. Like she's an addict, dude. She's, she knows what I'm going through, but yet she's been sober for a year or more. Unlike someone like maybe in another church setting where someone shares a rough patch where. Yeah. Like I experimented in high school for a week. Well, even that they don't get here. You don't hear church. Yeah. So you you hear, hear I lost my keys and I prayed about it and I found them on the beach. Yeah. All the, all the hard terms are like, yeah, we, you know, and then you do hear the ones that are like. Not self-inflicted, right? You hear everyone like talking about okay, hope yeah. through trials, like medical things, right? Like yeah. things like you can't control. So, uh, so uh, someone dies. Someone dies, like which is gnarly. Like that's a hard. Not self-inflicted. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Where addiction, although you got to be careful here, like it is a, it is something that you are born with the way that the brain works, and when you put mind-altering substance in an addict's body, like it, there's a reaction that's you know takes away that ability to choose. But or even your own story when you. Uh, became addicted on your mission. You were prescribed medication. Yeah. In when a addiction came legitimate... back, in my, yeah, came back into my life that time. I had been clean and sober for two years, and I was living as righteous as one can live, like almost to the point where it's a little too extreme because I was so afraid to break any mission rule. You know, to, uh, you know, I wouldn't have the spirit when I taught. So uh, you went from that phase to to belligerent, like within a month. Within a month of, of the of yeah. the opiates being inside so, me. So sometimes addiction self-inflicted from experimentation. And mine was a legit surgery. Like and sometimes, the guy said, you know, the LDS doctor said, take this. My mission president said, take it. You know, if you have a headache, because, you know, modern medicine is there for you. But either way, you could relate to this lady. Yeah, it was the first time. Everyone else, I kind of just didn't. Even the friends who brought me that were going through the exact same thing, I was just in denial. So, like, you know what I mean? I was so deep with my denial. It took this lady's story to relate to it. Share without giving names. Yeah. Uh Someone that you've walked through step two, that some some key words or quotes or experiences that help them plant a seed of hope. Because sometimes you don't realize in a in a in a twelve step meeting in the ARP meetings that what what impact you're having on someone else by your sharing. Yeah. Unless they share about it, but when you're sitting one on one with someone in a sponsor sponsoring, you're you're getting immediate feedback. Yeah. What what would I what think are with, some with this step, said. like with hope, it's not something like all these steps. It seems like you check them off, right? You do step one, then you go to step two, you answer these questions, you move on. But it's not like you're done. Like you're still like you're gonna have to go back to hope many times throughout your recovery for the rest of your life because sometimes like our our they say as your stinky thinking, like it comes back. Like it, it, you're you're you can you can if you don't wake up and surrender every day, if you don't have the spirit with you, you know you can kind of get confused. I mean, life's gonna be challenging, and so. Um, what's cool about this step too is you're kind of just introducing it to someone you're like telling someone like to hey you need to have hope and like they're they're accepting it in the beginning of like okay there is gonna be hope you're not gonna have any right now but just trust in me 
So that's what you're kind of saying in the beginning with like someone's new in recovery. You're like saying, lean on me, like lean on my hope. I promise you there is hope because of what I've been through. And like, that's all they can handle it in the beginning. Sometimes maybe that's why it says come to believe. Exactly. Not saying believe it. It's like, come to believe, be willing to come to believe, come be willing to believe in just me. That's what you do as a sponsor in the beginning. And there's a lot of acronyms for hope. I mean, one thing that I've heard in our local meeting was hold on pain ends. And that's one of the coolest ones. And, um, you shared that in your share. Yeah, you went exactly. through all these. Yeah, I went through so all those. Like I, why, do, why does hold on pain in ring true to you? Because in the beginning, it's a bunch of pain, man. Like when you stop, okay, if you, you, you have besides, a phys- besides physical, physical pain. pain, I mean, emotional pain, like uh, uh, relationship pain, spiritual pain, physical pain, all sorts of pain. It's just pain. That's all it is. Because, you know, when your life becomes unmanageable, like a, like a mind was unmanageable, there's just nothing but chaos. You own a boat, right? I have a boat, yes. Okay, okay. When you stop a boat, like on the lake, I'm sure, you, you, as you know, you have a wake following you. When you stop, does that wake just stop and especially, disintegrate instantaneously? No, especially if it's fully loaded, <laughs> yeah. then that water comes over the back of the boat. Exactly. And yeah, yeah exactly. The bigger your wake is, right? Yes. The bigger your wake is, the bigger the boat is, okay? So the bigger disease where your progression of your disease is, when you stop, imagine that wake is coming. There's a chaos that you've yeah. created in your life. And unfortunately, you have to sit in it. And you have to wait, and you have to hold on until the pain ends. That wake will end. And then once it ends, that's why you have the next step. What, the, in this step, it talks a lot about isolation, self-imposed I- isolation. And this is hope to try to break out of that. Yeah. To describe that, that desire to isolate, desire to... It, yeah, self-imposed. Do, do, you're a very outspoken person. Yeah. And when I met you, you were had been in recovery for at least a year. Yeah. But... You describe how you were fully isolated, and I find that hard to believe yeah. because I can't I can get you still to shut do up. It. I yeah. can't get you to shut up. See, I can still do that. That's the thing. See, us as addicts, like we're 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 the excellent disguisers. You know what I mean? Like we're chameleons. You know what I mean? We've learned to live with pain for a long time. Now we, we that's why we've come up with these solutions that are unhealthy to deal with it, right? But I can isolate still in a room being, while I'm talking. I've, mm. I've done it several times. You know, I could be at a meeting and I could be isolating. Get, what does that mean? Explain to me. I mean, like uh, not really being willing to say how I feel, like how I truly feel, because will okay. people accept me if I'm honest and saying, I don't feel very good right now. So I self-imposed isolation isn't necessarily locking yourself in your room, your house. That's how yourself. we generally think about it. And that can happen. Don't get me wrong. I've been in those moments where I'm like, I just lock myself in my bedroom. My kids are out there wild. My wife, I know she needs help. I know that, you know, I should be out there engaging, but I'm overwhelmed because generally I'm not surrendering to the program, to God, to Heavenly Father and saying like, hey, I need some help. And but what it comes down to is with me and my wife were just talking about this um, before we came to the meeting and I was talking about um, self-imposed isolation. You're afraid that if you I think for addicts, we're afraid if we say what's really on our mind, will our loved ones, those around us accept us? If we're being 100 percent honest, we're people pleasers, you know, to the the point where you're willing to, you know, be an actor all the time. When that's kind of relates to step one, we're not being honest, honest, yeah, not being honest. And you don't want to expose the honest. And you talk about being yeah. judged, like church culture, again, yeah. being judged, right? If you say, I want to go get high right now. Yeah. yeah. The fact that you just express that desire and being honest with that. Or like, or like, hey, I, or, you can even go talk about like church. You know, if you have a question with church or you have a question with the leader or you have a question with a doctrine. You, you, who, how do you say that? Hey, well, I have a question. You know how it is. You, we've all been in those Sunday schools where yeah. classes where someone asks a question and everyone kind of turns like, oh, man, they probably are losing their testimony. Why would they ask that? You know, I mean, I've been that way. I, I've self-judged other people. So I think that's, you know, when I say isolation, it's 
we're scared to connect with people because we've been hurt so many times in our lives or maybe we've hurt others and we feel there's nothing good. We lie to ourselves and, you know, that's the adversary saying that they're in our disease of addiction, telling you that by connecting is not going to help, but it will. It's the only way that it works is to break that self-imposed isolation. And would you, who did you, or did you come, I you know, did you come out of that isolation with one person first and then slowly open up to more people? Or was there a point where you switched it on and you just, from now on, I'm going to be open and honest with everybody? Um, well, when I broke my anonymity, which is kind of part of that question that you just asked, like it was because I think I talked about this in the last podcast that I became an open book. Um, was when we had, we had lost a girl in our meeting, in our local meeting. And um, I remember thinking that if she was in that much pain where she was willing to – she had like three or four months sober, so not much less than me. I had a year, so that's really not that big of a difference, three three to nine months or whatever. It's all it's relatively new. And she was going great and then all of a sudden went to use again and then died. So I was thinking, man – And I've, saw, I've heard like I mean, five this week in our yeah. community here dying. In Orange County. Relapsed death. death. And they're all young people. Yeah. And so that kind of hit me – uh, like, man, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't speak about it, like, maybe I can't help someone. Maybe I need to just be an open book. And, and it helped me be, for me, it was more of myself to be accountable, create more layers of accountability, breaking isolation, so, talking about so it. So you not only broke isolation, you broke anonymity, which is rare. Like breaking isolation yeah. is an important key for recovery. Breaking anonymity is not. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that people like, no like one, you can be in full recovery. Yeah. And not be open and, and discuss. Yeah, and it's not, not preached upon you as an act to say, hey, you need to break your anonymity and go share this with the world. Go and, share the world. That you're yeah, go to church, make a podcast, do all these things. No, I think for me, it's just something that kind of happened naturally. And it's in turn helped me be more accountable. You know, everyone knows that I'm an addict. So I think that uh, in recovery, so if hopefully if I did ever slip, God forbid that that ever happened, but um, enough people would have, you know, the the know of like when I'm using and when I'm not and, and, and uh, be there to help if they saw signs, you know, no one helped me when I was, <laughs> everyone just didn't want the problem. Like, Hey, like, so when I was using, everyone was just like, you got to stop. You got to stop. Like, we don't like this Jay. We love the Jay when he's not using, but you, when you're using is too much, we can't handle you. Like my yeah. wife, my friends, my family, but no one knew how to help me. Like, you know, so, and we, I wanted help, but we, we heard that. Sh- I heard that share today where a brother shared that when he was a teenager, he shared, he confessed to his bishop. You know, Boris Soul was really honest. Yeah. And the bishop said, uh, okay, well, let's pray about it. Gave yeah. him no tools of solution. And he. I'm sh- helping a friend right now that I, he just went and talked to the bishop for the first time. Same thing. Bishops aren't trained on this. You know what he told him? Don't go to, don't go to those meetings. He, told he said, you don't need to go to those meetings because you're not an addict. How does that bishop know? He just got done explaining key addict behavior, like, I mean, throughout his entire life, his adult and youth life. And yet this bishop, bless his heart, is doing the best he can with the, the, up to his knowledge, obviously knows nothing about the program, obviously knows nothing about addiction, because this guy laid it on the table and he said, Here, yeah, they, they exist, but you don't need to go there. You know, go to the marriage counselor, you know, go to this, go to your counseling, you know. Pray, read this talk. He right. gave him a talk. He, bas- he basically, your friend, did step one yeah. and said, my life's unmanageable. Yeah. And he was confessed step one, and the bishop said, you're not. And correct him where that's, yeah. that's interesting. How well, does the bishop have the right to say that? You know, unfortunately, they don't. But that's why we have this program, so we can help inform bishops and inform state presidents on those of us who are addicts. You're a convert, right? Yeah, convert to the church, 11 years. 
How many years? Probably 10 or 11. No, not well, huh? because we moved a lot for a yeah. little bit in our marriage. So how many of those did you did you share addiction that you had an addiction? Yeah, I mean, every single one of them because I talked about behavior that I couldn't stop. And right when I got home from my mission, I talked about that. But when I joined the church, how many bishops understood addiction and the recovery program, or how many referred you to the addiction recovery program? In round numbers, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. give me like, like a, zero, zero. I mean, none. Well, wow. yeah. That's, I mean, the, that doesn't surprise me, but yeah, sad. it's not that they didn't care or they didn't understand. They haven't heard this type of behavior before. Of course, they're they're well versed in this type of behavior, but do they know the answer? I mean, if you're not an act yourself. I was the put it this way. I was the addict, and yet I didn't even know myself. Well, that's so how that's, <laughs> that's why I asked you so many questions because I exactly. was intrigued. I was, I, when I was just working with the young men, I was ward mission leader, and I, as I'm talking to you, I'm l- listing off people that I would have loved to talk about this program and give them tools because yeah. I was saying the same thing. Read this talk. Yeah, uh, you know, go do this. Go yeah. try to give them the, my that best worked advice. For you. That worked, worked for, you, for me, but I was at a completely different that level. Works, that, that works for non addicts. Worked for me. Yeah, saying a prayer and reading your scriptures yes. works. And don't get me wrong, that's a crucial part of recovery, deepening your recovery. How you know, spiritual base, but at the same time, you got to get to that point. When you're talking about someone who's on heroin, is trying not to shoot a needle into their arm, or this life or death. You saying a prayer and reading your scriptures ain't going to happen in the beginning. That's just not reality. Or, like or, they need to get on the phone and talk to someone. Real talk. And talk about, you know, um, step work and t- talk about real recovery and, and the things you need to do and get it out and vent it out and, and just, like I said, have that real talk and honesty. But most bishops don't know, but, uh, you know, the cool thing in our stake and our ward and, and in our area, they're becoming, they realize, I think, now that they have those of us addicts who've broken their anonymity and that's, come out. That's what I was going to say. They can just push it. They just, yeah, they just refer people to us, which is what we want. We want which, to help our own. Which that's why I give you mad props and and a lot of other people that have broken anonymity and are out there in every meeting we go to. How many people come up to us after? Oh yeah, and and like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, because there's no one else to give the real talk about the t- most about steps. member addicts that come to the meeting for the first time. Member addicts, so so people who've been member their whole life or converts like me, but they're either experienced addiction in their life or maybe they've overcome it, but they still are feeling a little antsy. They come in, they, the first thing they all say is, wow, this feels like home. Yeah, yeah. I finally so, have a place to relate to. How many said it tonight? First yeah. time. I mean, 50, 60-year-old yeah. dudes or g- girls that come in here and they've been holding it. They've felt isolated. That's what isolation is. They've been going to church, doing the do, you know, living the, living the commands the best they can, but they felt like they didn't connect to their brothers and sisters at church. Well, that's freaking, I give them props for even staying. Right. That's hard. And then the other, you also have those that left the church because of guilt or yeah, because shame, of whatever, whatever or someone is. offended them. Yeah, bishop not understanding. Uh, yeah. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not the life. bishop. It's just life. It's like, this is complicated. This, this disease is baffling. and com- it's, it's baffling to me, and I'm the addict. That's, okay. Sometimes that's, it doesn't make sense to me. So, Well, the step two is where you first drop the line. The answer is always the next step. That's true. Why do you say that? Because in the beginning, you get honest. You basically are just saying, yeah, my life is freaking crazy right now. It's unmanageable. It's chaotic. I can't stop. Now you got the wake, remember? Yeah. You stop the boat. You turn the ignition off in step one. You're like, you're still drifting, right? You're drifting. You're like the boat's coming to a stop in step two. Yeah. And now you're getting in, you know, the next step is step three where you're, I can't in step one. Number two, he can hope. Right, you have hope. 
step three. So I think I'll let him. Beautiful. I want to end with this for the aesthetic. Ether 12, 27, the Lord will make weak things become strong. Crazy that that scripture. <laughs> How has your addiction made you strong? How is that addiction? How have you turned that or how have you seen that become a strength in your life? It's crazy. That scripture was first brought notice to me when I was in the MTC leaving to the Philippines. My MTC teacher, not knowing my story of an addict or anything, brought that scripture to me right before I left. We were pretty close. Like we were pretty close in age. I was an older missionary. He was 23. I was 21. And he's like, hey, I, I really feel like I, I should share this with you. Hmm. He's like, I had a prompting. I was in scripture study. He's like, I think you need the scripture. Just to you, like just one to on me. one? Just to me. And said, here, you should read this. This is going to help you throughout your mission. Okay, little did I, little did he know that that was the one thing that was going to not only just help me on my mission, but uh, help me throughout my life. And like your question was, is um, we so have you seen strong. your addiction? Yeah. Like you went home from, you got addicted, re-addicted on mm -hmm. your mission. Yeah. You got transferred missions and then came home early. Yep. And then you almost lost your marriage. Yeah. And your life. Yeah. A few times. Yeah. And you're going to tell me that you now have are yeah. stronger because of that? Yeah. I mean, how? Because when you do step one, and like it says there, uh, first, if men come to me, right? If men yeah. and women come to me, that's step one. First, you got to come to them, right? Yeah. Except it's what we're talking about. The next step is then, you know, if you humble yourself and are submissive to me, then will I make weak things? Well, those two parts are, I think those right there, you could then fill in the 12 steps. You do these 12 steps, you come to me, right, he right. promises me, I'll not only show you your weaknesses, I'm going to make weak things become strong unto them that do that. So what, what have you seen? Give me one specific, if you can, that... Just when I do step work with someone. I mean, yeah, do I get up there and share, and that does help. But it's the, it's the grunt work when you're sitting there with someone who has zero hope, who is exactly where you were, pretty dang close to it. Just maybe some different stories, but for the most part, same pain, same guilt, same shame. And then you work with them, and you're not doing anything, but you're just there... You're just saying lean on me in the beginning while you, while they gain that testimony back of that there is hope and that there is a God and their their life can be manageable again. And then watching that experience through the first three, six months, that's where the heart is. That's where it's hard. That's where it's really tough and you want to give up every day. And you've got to sometimes answer the phone every morning, every night as a, as a sponsor and uh, and be willing to call them and check in on them. But then all of a sudden, you know, few, all of a sudden they start gaining momentum. They start getting one, two, three, four, five, six steps done. All of a sudden, you start to see them just take off. And they're like, they can rely. They can go not every day with having to call and just say, hey, I'm, I might use today. I might freak out or this, that, and the other. They're like, no, I'm good. Like, life's not perfect. It's not where I want, but I can I can handle this. See what I mean? So I honestly believe that, you know, my weakness, okay, I couldn't even function without drugs, has now become something where I can function without drugs and now help other people have hope to do the same. And... Weak the fact that you've experienced that allows you to relate to them where I you wouldn't. Couldn't. Yeah, you can't. There's no way I would have listened to a non-addict at that point. I was done listening to bishops. I, and now if a bishop was a recovering addict, you better believe I would listen to him. But I was done taking advice from someone who didn't know what it was like to get up and, and, and have to live off of a drug or alcohol to, to survive. And that is why the last 12 step or the 12 step is sharing it. And I think you've taken that to heart, and that's become your strength. Yeah, I and agree with that. I think we should end on that. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Jay. For until next Bradley. time, let's uh, tell you that the next step is always the answer. Always. The next step, real talk.
Shelter!